Rip, thank you so much for prayer. That was a great word you gave about uh, those facing discouragement because we all face it at times. So thank you so much for being sensitive to the Lord on that. That was really, really good. Thank you. Well, so today I want to continue on our study on the book of Philippians. We started it last Sunday. And uh, that was our, our first Sunday of a number that we're going to be talking about Philippians. And we're still in Philippians chapter 1. Did anybody read the chapter um, last week? Good. Um, study it. Continue to study it. Pretend you're putting a sermon together. Study it out. And uh, how would you do it? How would you present uh, what Paul is presenting to the church in Philippi? So it's really good. Today we're talking about a God's abounding love. And um, it, as we talked last week, we identified the main purposes of Paul's letter were to emphasize joy, peace, and hope offered to people through the grace of God in the tough times of life. That life is going to get hard, it's going to be confusing, but yet God offers hope and peace. And we, we talked about how that God will pour out his fullness of joy and peace to people as they grow in their relationship with Jesus. As they grow in their relationship, basically the equation is joy plus peace equals hope. Joy plus peace equals hope. And God is a giver of hope. He's a giver of peace. He's a giver of joy. And when we put all these things together, he is faithful for those that grow in relationship with him. And I think that's important that we recognize that. So today we're going to continue to talk about how God's love abounds to those that are following him. Our text begins in Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. You can turn it or you can read it on the screen with me. In all my prayers, Paul says, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you in the, with the affection of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for what you have in store for us today. And I pray, God, that you will just make it real to us. Give us revelation knowledge today as we press in and press on in your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I find it interesting here that Paul moves from praying with joy for the people into praying with confidence. That's interesting that confidence and joy go together. In fact, do you think that that God-given joy, God-given joy produces God-given confidence? Is there any relationship between God's joy and God's confidence? I think there is. I think that confidence that Paul has for this church, for example, that he's talking about in Philippians, comes because he has an assurance of their relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit that he's seen happen in them. In other words, there's been a, there's been a, an outpouring of, of generosity. There's been a outpouring of their concern for Paul. Um, not just during this time, but even earlier when Paul was in prison elsewhere and when he was doing other ministry. So Paul recognizes the fact that, that this church gets it. 
And he has joy in the fact that this church is understanding what the gospel really is. How many of you, when you work with somebody, if you've ever witnessed or testified to somebody or given your testimony and they've accepted Christ or they've grown in their relationship, how many of you have experienced that same kind of joy that that they're realizing that what you're telling them is truth? And how important that is. And it, and it gives us confidence and it gives us joy, the fact that they're actually growing in the grace of God. And I think that's what Paul is saying here, is that basically the, that church has earned his trust and his confidence because of the faithfulness that they're showing to him, that therefore he knows that they truly are saved, they truly are growing in their uh, the love that, that they have for Christ. And it's very obvious by their passion and by their generosity. Paul references that later in Philippians, chapter 4 actually, he, re- he references that because he says it this way, beginning in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Because Paul had issues, Paul had needs, Paul had, he was imprisoned, he was um, um, going through many uh, phases of his ministry. And he says that, They, in verse 15, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. That church got it. They saw that Paul had a need, and they were willing to give. Verse 16, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So Paul saw it. He he saw the fruit of their faithfulness. Actions speak louder than words. Do you know that? Do you know what that means? Action speaks louder than words. And the Philippian church proved their love and their commitment for Christ through their actions towards Paul. And that's the reason that Paul was confident in them, because he saw their love. He saw their love in action. But even more importantly, God's faithfulness to people goes beyond our actions. Verse 6, 1 Philippians Philippians chapter 1, verse um, 6, it says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. My Bible commentary says it this way. God is always faithful to ensure that his work will be effective in the lives of those who remain loyal to and dependent on him. Think about that. Let's read that again. God is always faithful to ensure that his work will be effective in the lives of those who remain loyal to and dependent on him. However, His faithfulness can do nothing for those who resist God's grace and refuse his gift of salvation. Do you see how that relates? God's faithfulness is is always going to be faithful. When he starts something in a person's life, whatever he began in you, he will finish it as long as we're willing to cooperate with him. His faithfulness is not going to stop no matter what we're going through, as long as we're following him, as long as we're trusting in him, as long as we're putting our confidence in him, he is faithful to be to complete the work. But I think that many of us in our own 
nature of humanity that we will develop our own level of confidence in ourselves when things are going good. And we kind of draw back on our dependence on God because while things are going good, I'm pretty confident in myself until something happens. Until there's that go-to moment again where I have to go to God because something's happening that I can't control anymore, so I, I go run back to, to God. And I think that's kind of the, the nature of the American church today is that while things are good, we're okay. We're almost too confident in ourselves, and we're missing what God is trying to say because God's trying to say when things are good, continue to press into me, continue to develop your relationship with me, continue to trust me in all things. Because God is faithful to those. And um, he said this, and, and Paul wrote this to Timothy, actually. In Second Timothy, he writes this, that there's a, another a good saying here. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that if we died with him, we will also live with him. He's talking about Christ. If we endure with Christ, we will also reign with Christ. If we disown Christ, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he listen to this. He remains faithful for he, he cannot disown himself. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying that God is faithful to himself, that he cannot disown himself, even though we can disown him, even though we can become faithless, God will always be faithful to either reward or to bring, I hate to use the word, but punishment. I mean, God can't, he can't be unfaithful to himself in any way, shape or form. So even if we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. And that's why I think it's important for us to realize that even when I don't feel like worshiping God, that's the time I need to worship God. I can't live by my life on my feelings, because if I'm living my life on my feelings, then who's in control? I'm in control. At least I think I am. But when I can go to God no matter what I feel and understand that he is faithful and he is worthy of my praise no matter what I feel, that I'm being faithful to him because I know that he doesn't change. His faithfulness doesn't change. And he will be faithful in his rewards towards me. And he also has to be faithful in his correction towards me. There's no favorites. God doesn't give me a special buy because I'm a special person. He cannot disown himself, so he has to be faithful to his word. And if his word says reward, he rewards. If his word says correct, he corrects. Amen? So no matter what happens in my life, recognize that God is always going to be consistent. And I hope that gives us a level of confidence. I hope that gives us a level of hope. So let me just summarize to this point so we can move on, that God is committed by his own standards to be faithful to those who are faithful to him. He cannot be unfaithful to himself. However, this is an important point. However, this doesn't mean that life will be without his challenges and trouble. We talked about this quite a bit last week, that in this life we will have trouble. And it's only by our faithful endurance to follow Jesus in the times of our trouble that we will see his true faithfulness to come up to us because he's faithful no matter what no matter what our trouble is. So let me just say it this way, guys. We've come too far to give up. Now is not the time to throw in the towel. 
We've come so far in our Christian walk. We've come so far in our life. We've, we've grown up. We've aged. We're getting closer to the end. Now is not the time to say it's not worth it. Now is not the time to say, I give up. It's kind of exactly what Pastor Rip's word was this morning at prayer time. That for those that are sitting by the tree of discouragement, it's time to get back up and move on because God's faithful and he's not going to leave us there as long as we're understanding how powerful he is and how good he is, no matter what's going on in our life, it's never worth giving up. It's not the time to quit, so hang in there. So let's move on. Verse 7, Philippians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, it says, For it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So what Paul's doing here, he is defending his feelings towards this church because they have defended him through all the challenges and the victories of his ministry. They've been faithful to him. And Paul has an affection for this church because they've proven themselves to be committed to follow Christ in their actions, and they've blessed Paul in the process. You know, it's a pleasure to be around people that mean what they say, and they take action on the words. Versus a person that says what you think they, what they think you want to hear and then go ahead and do what they want to do anyways. You know, when people are true to their words, they're pleasant people. It's good to be around people like that. And if, if, if it makes us feel good to be around people like that, then do you think it makes God feel good as well? That God can trust you and trust me into what my feet and what, what I, act out even if my feelings don't always go that way of course it does so paul is saying that he longs to be with these people because they've proven himself to be faithful then he goes on to say in philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 he says and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best it may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, I really like to listen to the prayers of the writers of the Gospels because they're praying a really, truly Holy Spirit-led prayer. And this is a powerful prayer. And I think we need to take some time here to understand what Paul's trying to say and how, what, how he's praying for this, for this church. The first thing he says is that the true love is marked with a desire to be grounded and growing in biblical truth. Paul is praying that their love and our love would abound more and more, meaning that our love would grow and it would mature and it would develop and it would get bigger and it would get better, that it wouldn't become stagnant. It wouldn't be just I loved once and that was it. No, your love is going to abound more and more and, 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 and it's going to be, and it's going to result in an action because love is an action, not just a feeling. In other words, love motivates to do something that proves itself, and it develops a fruit that people can see and taste and feel. They see it. They can sense it. 
Love is an action. Love is something that when you really understand it, when you're around people that truly are loving people, you can feel it from them. You can actually sense it from them. There's, there's something about a person that truly loves that you know they're different. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been around people that you just know they love you? They just You just know they're concerned for you? And isn't it a blessing? See, love develops and it grows deeper in relationships, not only with people, but also with God. So in this context, what Paul is saying here is that the fruit of their love is a growth of knowledge and a depth of insight. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? How, how does love grow in knowledge and a depth of insight? Well, first of all, Knowledge here is much more than simple head knowledge, meaning, oh, I know the facts and I know the figures and I have all the, the, the knowledge in my brain. I, I have, I understand it all. It's, it's much more than that. This is a, a revelation knowledge of things that are deep and spiritual. And this is where love abounds. Love abounds in the heart, in the deep recesses of our body, in the deep recesses of a person. It's a spiritual knowledge of godly character, and it's a deep-seated understanding of what God really wants from us and what he's wanting to develop in us that helps us to rise above the problems of life and the flesh tendencies that would seek to please me versus pleasing God. It's a knowledge that it goes much deeper than what I can gain in a book. That's why I said, have you read, when you read Philippians, when you read along with me here, I mean, study it for yourself. Study it like you're going to present it to somebody. Study it like you're going to become the expert on that particular knowledge and that topic. And and when you study God's Word like that, it grows deep into you, and it becomes a word of knowledge in you that grows up from just reading some letters or some words on a page, and it actually becomes life. That's what the Holy Spirit does when we study God's Word. So it grows into a depth of insight, and this is not an insight that the world knows anything about. The world can give us lots of knowledge, but the world can't give us much insight into spiritual things. And this insight comes as our love grows, as our relationship grows. And this is the knowledge and insight that comes as an, this is really good, an act of trust, and it's an assurance that God has everything under control. I know there are times in life when we just don't know where to turn. There are times in life when it's just confusing. It's just hard. But when I have love that grows more and more, abounding in knowledge and depth of insight, this insight is not just the worldly insight. No, it's an insight that God loves me. God has my life under his control. Things may not be going the way I understand it. Maybe it's a mystery. Maybe things in just my life are full of questions. But I have a depth of insight that God is working everything together for my best interest, even when they don't appear to be. You know what I'm talking about? Ever experienced that when you just don't know where to know, but you just know there's that, there's that assurance in your heart? This is where the joy and the hope and the peace comes from. It's an abounding love that grows and grows, and it goes deeper and more 
where we don't even know where it comes from. It's that, it's that grace, it's that hope, it's that peace that goes beyond our own understanding. This becomes a solid foundation that a Christian's life is built upon, that when everything else is going chaotic and crazy around them, they are solid and they're, and they're unmovable, they're unshakable, because they have that depth of insight. I hope we're getting this. I really do. I, I hope that this is settling in our heart, because this is what makes living a committed life for Christ worth it. Sometimes people wonder, why do you go to church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you worship? Well, because there's something truly in it for us. And when I understand it this way, then becoming and remaining a committed Christian has great value, great insight. And I would just say this, there isn't any other faith or religious system in the world that is able to give one the fullness of God's deep-seated confidence and absolute assurance of joy, peace, and hope. I don't care what other, I don't care where you look, there is no place else in this world that you can get this. Only in a relationship with Christ that's growing deeper and deeper in, in abounding love. And this requires an intentional attitude of servitude, servitude on our part. How do we do this? How do we live a life to achieve what Paul is claiming that we can have? Well, we do it by making daily, intentional choices to pray and study God's Word. Now, I want to pause here for a minute because I want to make sure we understand this point. I know a lot of times we hear it in churches a lot that we need to make a daily habit of prayer and a daily habit of reading your Bible. But what does it really mean? What are we really talking about when we say that we are to really pray? This is not just a quick prayer before a meal or a throw it up before I go to sleep type prayer. I'm talking about do we really take a time to get alone with God? Do we really take the time just to spend time that we get away from the rat race? We get away from the TV. We get away from the radio. We get away from all the other distractions in life. And guys, let me just tell you, it's not hard to pray because prayer is simply time with God. And sometimes it's just sitting quiet. Sometimes it's just saying, God, I'm ready to hear your voice. I'm ready to, for you to speak to me. And I think we under, misunderstand prayer is that we have to come to God with a written-out script. And we have to give him all of our fears and all of our concerns. And yes, certainly he's willing to handle all that. He can handle that. But what he's really wanting is just your time. Your time that you're willing to sit alone and listen. And then Bible reading. What does it mean to read the Bible? Does it mean I just have to make get a year uh, a, a, a year plan to read the Bible in a year? 
Well, sure. If you want to read the Bible in a year, that's fine. But you're not really going to grasp a whole lot because you're reading so much so fast. It's kind of like all those announcements I gave you at the earlier service. You get so much information, it just kind of floods you over. But no, I really, reading the Bible says I take a few verses at a time and I meditate on them. I, I challenge you to go through this prayer of Paul that he just read about how loved and, and what he prayed for the church here, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And then just think about it. Think about it. And say, Holy Spirit, make this alive. Bring me some insights here. Bring me some knowledge. Give me a depth of insight of what you want me to get out of what the Bible is saying to me. And then just sit in his presence for a bit. Don't rush through it. Meditate on it. If we really want to experience what Paul's talking about, we have to take responsibility for ourselves to get involved in how we get there, and that is through prayer and Bible reading and meditation. Amen? Let's continue on. In verse 10, he says, So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Okay, what does this mean? That we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. We live in a world that's black, white, and gray. <laughs> I mean, there are things that are black, things that are white, and things that are gray. Black meaning wrong, white meaning right, and gray meaning, uh, I'm not sure. Do you know what I'm talking about? But when I say black and white, these are relatively easy to, to, to discern. Because if it's morally wrong... It's wrong, right? <laughs> I mean, if something just says it's wrong, then it's wrong. That's black, and there doesn't take any discernment to understand that because it's very clear. There's no question about it. But gray has its challenges, and it has its dangers. Let me give you an example of some black things, some wrong things. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and through 21, it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and alike. I warn you, as I did before, that the, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So now you can go through that list sometime and just look at those, try to understand what those words mean. What does it mean for sexual immorality? What is, it, what is impurity? What is idolatry? What is witchcraft? What does it mean to be hateful? What does it mean to, 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 to sow discord and jealousy? Understand those. Think about those things. Understand what they are because they're black. They're wrong. They're, there's nothing gray about that. Then Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, or, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, or greedy, or drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. These are the black things. These are the very obvious things that are sinful and wrong. And we need to understand that and just avoid these things. Those, those are easy. These are not gray. But then there are the areas of gray 
that maybe God doesn't give a direct answer in God's word on a particular subject so that there are other qualifiers that we need to think about in those areas of gray. And some of those qualifiers can be as simple as levels of moderation, for example. Making sure that whatever it is that I'm going to do, I don't do it to a point where it becomes controlling in my life. I can do some things to a certain level, and it's not sinful. But if I go one step further, it becomes sinful, and it, 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 it can become excessive or dominant in my life. And these things require spiritual discernment. Sometimes I wish God wouldn't put the gray areas in the Bible. I would wish he'd make it more a list of rights and wrongs. It'd be so much easier maybe to live that way, but he doesn't because he expects us to use spiritual discernment and how we pick the things that are really good for us or not good for us. Because where I get, when I start getting into the gray areas, this is where God's grace comes into play and can be easily taken out of context if I'm not careful. This is where we can begin to justify our excessive behaviors or actions and begin the deep slide away from God's grace that would truly give us the best things that he has in play, uh, uh, planned for our life. You know, I um, I know that when we start talking about this way, we people start to think that we meddle in people's lives. And I'm not trying to meddle in people's lives. I'm just trying to understand the facts with a, with a depth of insight that would give us a revelation knowledge of what God expects from us. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer here gives us a real warning for those that would misinterpret the spirit of grace And they use the spirit of grace to justify their repeated sins, thinking that God has to forgive them because we live in an era of grace. Let let me read this, these two, these passages. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 26. And there's some key words here. If we deliberately, that's a key word, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on a testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Two key words deliberately keep on sinning and then go to the last sentence, who has insulted the spirit of grace. That all comes down into those two words, those two sentences right there. If I deliberately sin when I know the truth, then I'm insulting the spirit of grace and I'm trampling on Christ. See, Christian freedoms become a major point of dissension and argument. Some say that because God doesn't give me a direct answer on a particular action or a particular activity, then I, as a Christian, have every right to live my life, to do what I want to do, regardless of what another Christian thinks or how it impacts another person's life or how it impacts my relationship with Christ. Well, I may have Christian liberties. Yes, I do. There's a degree of freedom to there. But godly discernment, though, gives me the ability to see what's best for me. That's the key word. What's best for me 
even if something may not be a sin in itself. This is the gray area I'm talking about. Because if I don't use restraint, then that sin, that gray area, may become sinful to me. It's like playing with matches. Anybody as a kid played with a, lit, lit a match and see how long you can hold it before it burns your fingers? Anybody done that besides me? Or am I the only stupid one? I mean, it's like, or, or a firecracker. Light the fuse, and how long can I hold it before, it's, before I have to throw it? Anybody done that? Yeah. How many have had one blow up in their fingers? Yeah. <laughs> it's a big surprise, isn't it? Well, here's the reality. If I know it's going to burn me, if I hold it too long, or if it's going to blow up in my fingers, then why play with it? Then why do I want to do that? Why do I want to play with it when I know that if I hold it too long, it's going to hurt? Paul has some advice on that. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. What Paul is saying here is stop playing with the matches. If you know it's going to potentially hurt you, if you know you're playing with fire, then wisdom says don't do it. Choose the best things in life. You see, just because I may be free to participate in a particular activity, the question has to be asked, is it beneficial to me, my family, or the kingdom of God? Yeah, I can do that, whatever that thing is, whatever that gray area in your life is, but is it beneficial? Does it make me a better Christian? Does it make me stronger This is what Paul is saying in verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. What does it mean to be pure and blameless? It means not to cause an offense to God or to another person. God is holy, and there is nothing unholy about him or his character. And the Bible says that if we are going to be in a relationship with God, then we must be holy as he is holy. That isn't perfection. It's that we have a desire to live forgiven and we're set apart from anything that could cause us to become unholy. It's a desire in our hearts to be like God. It's a desire in our hearts to be holy like God to be holy. And this is what it means to be able to discern what is best and to be pure and blameless above the world. Why would I want to play around in the gray areas of life that very probably could cause me to bring an offense to God or to become a stumbling block to another person? There's a lot more that we could talk about here if we had the time. But just a couple of questions here that will help us understand ourselves is that do I want to be pure? And do I want to be blameless when I take my last breath on earth? Or do I want to be found playing with some stuff I shouldn't be playing with? Do you want to be the best you can be in this life? And then obviously that translates to the next eternal life. 
Or am I willing to settle for something so much less through the compromise that the world would be bringing me because it may be tempting in the moment to be enjoyable? Discerning to be looking for what is best. That's what God's talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what I'm, that's what I'm emphasizing here is yes, we may be able to go out and enjoy some of these things in life that may or may not be right or wrong, but are they really the best thing for me or not? I'm, I'm, I'm choosing. I'm, I'm emphasizing. I'm asking all of us to choose the best things in life. Paul says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Think about that. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Weight of Glory, he said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Do you, hit his, do you get his challenge here? See us, this is what he's trying to say? He's saying, why are we half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when we can have infinite joy offered to us? Rather, we're like an ignorant child who's making mud pies, playing in the dirt, when we could be enjoying a holiday at the seashore. I think that's just, are we choosing the best, or are we willing to compromise for less at the time? If we could really understand here what's what's being said, by choosing the best that God has for us, rather than selling for compromise, we could truly understand what verse 11 says. Verse 11, then, of our text says, Philippians first, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, our verse 11 says, that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Something that is filled up doesn't have room for anything else. Are you filling your life up with righteousness? Are you filling yourself up with the good things so that when the gray things come, you don't have room to play in the gray because you're full of the good? Something that's filled with righteousness is overflowing with righteousness, and it doesn't have opportunity. It doesn't give room for the gray or the black to get in because we're so full of God. That's the challenge that we're talking about here. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Don't allow your life to be captured with the moments of sexual gratification or other things that would want to play in your world of, of, of your daydreaming. We need to establish the goal of godly righteousness. Now, I know what I'm talking about here may appear to be, be somewhat idealistic, right? That we're going to be such goody-goody two-shoes, that we're going to be perfect. No, I'm not saying that. But our goal, though, should be uh, of godly righteousness that we are trying to attain as close as we can to living a godly life, not a compromised life of how close I can live in the world and still be godly. 
if I don't make that my goal to live a righteous life, then you'll never live a righteous life. If you don't make it something to attain, then you'll never even try. So the goal that we have to have in our life, if we're going to be abounding in love, that is going to give knowledge and depth of insight, is that we're going to make a goal of our life to be godly, to be righteous. First Corinthians chapter six nineteen. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Jackie, would you come, please? So, why is it so hard so many times to honor God with our bodies, mind, and soul? Why do we struggle with it? Why are we, why are we contented making mud pies in the slum, as C.S. Lewis would say, rather than holding ourselves off and reserving ourselves to have a holiday at the sea? This is where we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be actively involved in our lives, helping us, shaping us, controlling us, helping that we're giving, we're submitting ourselves unto Him. Because God provides a way out of every temptation if we choose to take it. God provides a way out. There's, there's, there's nothing here that is going to be um, uncommon for us or something that we can't endure. And I, want, and I say this because God isn't setting us up, up to fail. God's not asking us to be righteous so that we can be punished because we're unrighteous. He's not setting us up to punish, to be punished. Rather, he's setting us up to succeed so that we can learn to put our heart, mind, and soul into trusting him in every situation that we live in. That's what he's wanting for us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... You are going to be tempted, just so you know that, right? But when, not if, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You're not alone, guys, in the struggle. You may feel alone many times, but you're not. There are people that will stand with you. There are brothers and sisters, brothers and, and sisters in Christ that will stand with you if you will make your weaknesses known to them. It's okay. Find a good brother or a sister. Be accountable. And then recognize that God's Holy Spirit is for us. Philippians 4.13, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I don't have to settle for less. I don't have to settle for the mediocre. I can hold myself up for God's best. Because I know that he has bountiful things in store for us. For me personally, for you personally, for this church, he's got a great plan available. He's got a great plan in store if we would be faithful in pursuing him over ourselves. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I know that there are th- there are times in our life that are just complicated and somewhat confusing. And God, I know many times that we feel that we're alone and maybe unable to reach out and to feel your your love and feel your your grace to us. 
But God, I love the fact that you are faithful. And no matter what happens, no matter if we're faithless, you will never be unfaithful to us. And so, God, I'm asking you, Father, that you would just give us your strength. Give us your assurance. Give us your peace. Give us your love, Father. Give us a conviction in our life that we would choose you at any cost. That we would begin to to serve you at a level, God, that is more abounding in love all the time. And abounding in more love all the time. And abounding in more love all the time. That our love would continue to grow and not become stagnant. But then we could see the value of having a relationship with you that is much more than what this world could ever offer. And I pray, God, that you would just give us your peace. Give us your love today as we go to our homes. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, if you will. And let's just sing the song that Jackie's playing as a form of worship as a, before we go to our homes today. I encourage you to keep reading Philippians chapter 1 this week and continue to study it. We're going to continue to go deeper in it next week. Study it. Show yourself approved. Make sure I'm telling you truth. Amen? Father, I just pray that you go with us today. And Lord, I pray that we would find that quiet time where we would really just spend time praying and meditating, God, on your word and in your love for us, that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. God, I pray for these people. I pray for this church. I pray for this community. I pray, Father, you just go with us, Lord, as we as we endeavor to live a life of righteousness. Before, Fill us up, God, with your love. Fill us up with the good things in life, that we're not distracted or tempted by the things that aren't the best for us. And I pray, God, you give us that discernment. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>